Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to study the book of Daniel 3b, the second half of chapter 3. Um, so we are, again, that's the book of Daniel, or Daniel, chapter 3b. We're going to start with verse 19. Um, those that have studied the previous chapter with us, 3a, remember that it ended on a scary point where... The three officials, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the three Jewish officials of the king, refused to bow down to this golden statue that the king had demanded that everyone in the country bow down to. And on the penalty of death, to be thrown into a fiery furnace, anyone who doesn't listen. Before I um, read chapter 19, I want I, I read verse 19 and begin the second part. I want to... Uh, point out a few things from the conversation between um, the king and the three men um, that we had read in the last one. And I want to point out a few things that will help us understand what's about to happen in this portion. The king, in verse 14, which we already read in the last part, calls the three men who were accused of not bowing down. And he said to them, curious phrase, but a very important phrase. He said, is it true, and then he named them, that that you refuse to worship my God, number one, and number two, and you also refused to bow down to the golden statue that I put up. In other words, he's really leveling two separate accusations. Number one, you refuse to agree to my and, and bow to worship my God. And number two, you also refuse to bow to the golden statue. This hints that Nebuchadnezzar understood something about the objections of Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. He thought to them himself, well, clearly they are, um, and especially after having the lesson that Daniel had taught him last time, that the God of the Judeans is the most powerful and most high and so on and can reveal all secrets. He accused them of two things. Number one, you're not bowing to my God. And number two, you're not bowing to this statue. I could understand that you might not want to bow to my God because you're loyal to your God. But why don't you just bow to this statue? Which is why in verse 15 he says, Ka'an, I'll make you a deal. If you're ready... If at the time when all of them, without reading all, all of the instruments are blown and all the sounds being made, all you need to do is just bow to this statue. So don't worship the God. Don't be unfaithful to your God. Just do it because the king told you to bow to the statue. Then I won't have to bother you. And if you don't, but if you refuse to do even that, right, but if you don't, then I will throw you into the flame. And then no God, not even your, your powerful one, will save you. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is really making them a smart deal. He's saying, bow to the statue, but don't worship the God. Just do the action. What's the big deal? And then when they answered him, in verse 16, 17, and 18, they answered him by stating, 
you finished your words by asking us what God could possibly save you. In other words, who could possibly be strong enough? And they understood that um, exactly what he was suggesting. And at this point, before I explain the answer that they gave him, I want to mention some uh, uh, interesting passage in the Talmud, in Tractate Pesachim, where uh, Theodosius, or known in Hebrew as Todas, who was the leader of the Jewish community in Rome in some time in the 2nd or 3rd century, during the time of the Mishnah, expounded upon the following. And he asked, Why did Hanania, Mishael, and Azariah, where did they learn from this idea that they should give their lives up and jump in and be thrown into, allow themselves to be thrown into the furnace rather than simply bow down to the statue? And he answered that they learned from the frogs in Egypt because the verses in the Torah say by the plague of the frogs in Egypt that the frogs jumped into the hot bowls and, and, and the hot pots and pans that were in the ovens of the Egyptians. And Hanani, Mishael, Vaziah thought to themselves, if the frogs who have no command to sanctify God's name can jump into the hot ovens, then we should be able to be, we should give ourselves, in, in, in order to sanctify God's name, so to us, we should also be, allow ourselves to be thrown into a furnace in order to sanctify God's name. It's a curious passage. First of all, what, and, and the, the commentaries in the Talmud all have various different explanations of this, but the questions are as follows. Number one, what's the question? We all know, it's well established, that for three cardinal sins, the sin of idolatry, the sin of adultery, and the sin of murder, one is obligated to give one's life without, um, uh, uh, that uh, for every mitzvah in the Torah, where is life always supersedes. For example, on Shabbat, if someone, to save a life, one can violate Shabbat. To save a life, one can violate any of the kosher laws. There are any, any mitzvah, except for those three. So if one is, if one is, is being obligated or commanded to worship an idol, to disavow belief in God, rather than be killed, one is supposed to let themselves be killed. Um, so what was Todas's question when he asked, why did Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah, why did they give themselves up to, to die? They did it because that's what one is required to do. They're being asked to commit idolatry. So there's various answers, but I believe that the answer is inherent in the verse that we just read. Nebuchadnezzar was giving them an out. He's saying, don't worship my God. Just bow to the gold statue. Just bow because the king said so. Right? He said, I know you don't want to do either. You don't want to bow and you don't want to worship the God. So drop the worshiping the God and just bow. And Hananim, Yishav, and Isaiah could easily have said and thought to themselves, okay, fine. We'll make an announcement, or we'll tell people later we weren't worshiping anything. We just bowed because the king said so in order to save our lives. It would have been an easy justification, and maybe one could make an argument that it could have been a just, a just, and a good justification in order to save their lives. However, the issue with the frogs—they thought of the frogs jumping into the furnace, and they realized what was the point of having frogs jump into the furnace. Isn't it enough that there's 
hundreds of millions of frogs jumping around all of Egypt and driving people crazy, that's, that's, a, that's already a plague. That's already a miracle. Isn't that enough? But they realized that no, that wouldn't have been enough. Because people could have always thought to themselves, yeah, okay, so there's frogs jumping around. There's lots of frogs. Maybe there's, I don't know, there's some phenomenon that every couple hundred years, thousands of frogs come from the river and jump all around, around Egypt. But a frog deliberately jumping into a furnace, an animal deliberately jumping into a place that's hot, and the way it's described by Totus is, is they, the, the bulls that were next to the furnace and they were jumping into hot bowls where they knew they were going to die, that's unnatural. That's something that animals don't naturally do. That signifies that this plague is a plague that's from God who is above the usual rules of nature. That's what they learned from the frogs. Frogs who have no free choice to prove or to demonstrate that God is above nature acted in that manner in order to demonstrate to the Egyptians that the God of the Israelites is something more than just another God that they happen to pray to, but it's the God that actually created nature, a God that's actually above nature. And then Hanani, Mishael, and Isaiah thought to themselves, therefore we as well need to learn that same lesson. Sure, we can bow down to the statue and say that that it didn't mean anything. But by bowing down to the statue, what we're telling Nebuchadnezzar is that your power, your wealth, your arrogance, your belief, that that is what the world is about, that it's all about this world and the power and wealth that you can accomplish over other people, over nature, over the world, that that's what it is, that that's what you want to demonstrate and that's what how the, the, the value system or lack of value system that you want to teach. If we were to give in, then we would perpetuate that lesson. By not giving in, we are saying that no, there is something much, much more valuable in this world than power and wealth and gold and silver and, 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 and aggression. But we are supposed to look in this world and aspire to make it better. We are supposed to aspire to do something in this world above and beyond that which is obvious, above and beyond the, what you can gain with the strength of your muscles and your wealth and, and, and influence. And that's what the, that is what they learned from the frogs, which is what they answered. We do not need to answer your question. In other words, we understand what you're trying to get us to do. And we're going to give our lives regardless of whether or not God is going to save us. He does, of course, have the power to save us. He didn't save those frogs. So he may not save us, but we are here to demonstrate that there's more in the world than what the power and wealth that you are trying to um, demonstrate is in, in this world. And therefore, they went ahead with their their refusal to bow. And let's start verse 19 and begin 3b, Beidayin. When that happened, when they refused, Nebuchadnezzar hismelichema. He became, the king Nebuchadnezzar was enraged with fury. What do you mean there's, that, there's, that, that, that my power, my might isn't the greatest? Isn't, there's something better, something more important than that. And his face turned into a completely different, it was, uh, 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 it was distorted with rage. Al Shadrach, Meshach, 
regarding these three men. He therefore announced and he said, let us fire up the flames. Let's make it seven times as hot. Let's throw more and more and more fuel into the fire. Make it much, much hotter than it usually is. And of many of the strong men, um, he told them to grab the three men, grab them and tie them up in order to throw them into this extremely hot burning furnace. At this point, the, the men that were tying them up had their, their clothing um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, at, the, at this point, at this command, these men, meaning the three men, I made a mistake before, not the, the oppressors, but the oppressed, the three men, Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah, were tied up in their clothes, hats, and garments, presumably in order to, that the fire could catch on stronger and burn stronger. And add more fuel. And they were bound and thrown into the fiery furnace. Kol kavel dena. This um, during all of this tumultuousness, min dimilat because the the um there was so much uh, urgency and so much tumult tumult going on, and to, to immediately carry out the king's command. That these men and the, and the furnace had been f- fired up and heated up so hot, that flames started coming out of the furnace, which wouldn't have happened had they not flamed it up so high. So that the men that had been commanded to tie them up and carry them and throw them in, who had been commanded to, to add the fuel and to throw in the three um, people who were to be executed, Katil Himon Shivivadhinura, flames jumped out of the furnace and singed and killed them. So the, the men that went to throw them into the fire got singed by the fire and got killed themselves. This is just a description of just how hot and how awful this fire was. However, Vigovraya Ilech Tilatehon, these three men, Shadrach Meshach Vavedengo, the ones who were being executed, did fall they fell in all tied up in their clothes into the furnace so the scene is that the king's strong men grab the three people that are to be executed tie them up with all of their clothes on bring them to the fire and as they're throwing them in they themselves get burned but the three that are thrown in are thrown into the flames Edayan Immediately, Nebuchadnezzar Malka, this is verse 24, the king Nebuchadnezzar, immediately when he saw the three of them in the, in the furnace, he immediately was teva, he was the best uh, a translation I can imagine for that is he was just astonished and overwhelmed with awe. And he gets up shaken. Oneva Amar, and he announces and he screams to the Hadavrohi, to all of those that are are accompanying him, that are next to him. Didn't we just throw three people in and they were all tied up? And they all answered the king, yeah, sure, king. I mean, like, they're looking at him like, what's 
What, what's the big deal? Yeah, that's what we just did. We threw them all tied up in. Oneva Amar, and then he said, and this gives the impression that only Nebuchadnezzar is seeing this. Only the king is seeing this. The people around, they're just looking at a big fire, and three people were just thrown into it. They're not seeing what's happening in the fire, but the king is. And he says, I see four people. And they seem to be just walking around. They were tied up, and now they're walking around. And not only that, in the middle of the fire. And I see that they don't, they're not even hurt by the flames. And the appearance of this fourth person, he looks like an angel. Or he looks like some sort of a divine being. There is a tradition here that Rashi mentions Nebuchadnezzar, we know historically, was the son of, I remember the, the kingdom that preceded Babylon as the most powerful kingdom in the area was the kingdom of Assyria. For those of you that studied the book of Isaiah with us, you'd remember this very clearly. The Assyrians had conquered the Middle East and they had laid siege to Jerusalem. And then a miracle happened. In the book of Isaiah, it states that a, an angel of God struck down the Assyrian camp one night, which we happen to traditionally um, identify with the night of Passover Eve, and 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 struck down in some great plague the armies of Assyria, and with after which the remnants of that army needed to retreat to Assyria, which saved the Judean kingdom. Tradition has it, and historically this could very well be the case, although there would it would be difficult to prove. Nebuchadnezzar at that time would have been a young boy and would have been the son of, uh, I forget his name, I think Nebuchadnezzar or something like that. I might pronounce that wrong. Who was Nebuchadnezzar's father, who was at the time an officer in the Assyrian army. And Nebuchadnezzar would have been a young boy or at least could have been a, one of the young soldiers whose father was an, an official this this official eventually rebelled against Assyria and led a coup, uh, which was and then eventually conquered, which eventually won the Babylonians. Eventually conquered the Assyrians, but Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Rashi brings a tradition, what he saw on that night of the death of the Assyrian army of the plague against the Assyrian army. He was reminded of the same vision. He uses a similar language of Bar Elohim this divine being, that he was able to see there's something more here. There's something more than the power and the might of me and the army. Something is here, and that is saving these men. And Beidayan immediately, Kirev Nebuchadnezzar letra atunuro yakidta. Nebuchadnezzar himself walked to the entrance to this fiery furnace. This, which is kind of risky, because remember, his men before were standing in that same place, and they got burned without even going into the furnace. But Nebuchadnezzar then just walked up to the door, to the, to the um, you know, whatever that, and on Navy Omar, and he announced, Shadrach, Meshach, Ba'aved, Nego. He calls them out by name, Avdoi di Eloha. Those of you that are the servants of the real God, Ila'ah, Pukuv, Eso, get up and leave the furnace. Beidayin, and immediately Nafkin, Shadrach, Meshach, Ba'aved, Nugayim, and Go, Nura. The three of them, Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah, 
stood up, and apparently they had been untied somehow miraculously, and they just walked straight out of the flames. Umit kanshin, and immediately the uh, all of the all of the officials that were watching this, Achastar Panaya, Sidnaya, Vachvasalva, Dovre Malka, Chazayim Lech. Those are just a list of all of these people. They all got together, Mitkanshin, and they saw these men, the Loshalate Nuragi Begesh Mahon. The flame had no effect on their bodies. Usaare It hadn't even singed their hair. Visarbalehon Lashino. Their shirts, the, the clothing that they were wearing, didn't look burnt. They didn't even have the scent of flames and smoke on their bodies. Nebuchadnezzar saw this and he said, Blessed is, your God, is the God. This is interesting because he sees and witnesses this great miracle. And then he, what does he think? He thinks that God, they have a God that's even more powerful than me, or than my God, or than everyone else's God that's here. So blessed is the God of Shadrach, but he still didn't say, blessed is God, period. He still didn't get the message that there is a God, period, and all these other things are simply not true. Because their God sent his messenger and saved his servants. Because they trusted in the, his, in their god umilat malkoshaniv and in, and in, and and rejected the word and the command of their king in favor of their god vihavu gashmahon and they um gave over their lives because obviously they themselves stated they didn't know that a miracle was going to happen for all they knew they were going to get burned because they refused to bow down and to prostrate themselves to any god other than their own, other than the god that they know of. Now this is interesting because here he's admitting and understanding that the trick that I tried to give them, which was, um, the, the, I tried to split it. I tried to say, well, just go ahead and bow down, but don't worship. But now he realizes and understands that they would have been one and the same, that you can't split the two. Because he says here both, they refused to worship and they refused to bow because they realized that bowing would, in the end, be giving in and be interpreted as praying as well, even if they wouldn't actually pray to him. Umini, or, or worship. Verse 29, Umini sim te'em, and I hereby give an order, that any, any nation that comes and attacks their God this is as if he now thinks, I finally found the most powerful God, the one who's more powerful than me, the God of the Judeans. So I'm telling you, anyone that, that speaks bad against them, because he knows that the hatred of the Judeans exists, and it was this early version of anti-Semitism which led to this whole debacle in the first place. If anyone ever says anything bad about the God that is worshipped by these people uh, um, that are represented by these three men here, um, he will, um, uh, the, I, I, um, 
it means I will be that, that person will be torn up into pieces. Because there is no other God that can perform such a miracle and such a such a uh, salvation like their God can. It still seems that he still didn't get the real true message of monotheism. Now he's finally, though, admitted, he's moved up from the step in chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar thought that Daniel was just a really smart guy and his God was, was just really smart. Now he sees his God as really powerful, but he still doesn't see and understand that his God is the only God and the Creator. Beidayan, at that point, this is verse 30, Malko hatzlach l'shadrach meishach v'aved negob v'medinat Bavel, he promoted them to even higher positions in the government of the province of Babylon. The last three verses uh, in chapter 3, 31, 32, and 33, really should be the first three verses of chapter 4. Uh, again, the the numbering system that we use, the chapters were done later during the Christian era by Christian scholars. The traditional mass, uh, Jewish way of dividing these chapters has verse 30 being the end of the section and verse 31 being the beginning of the next section. And it's pretty clear that this is, that this is an error. The, the last three verses, 31, 2, and 3, really belong at the beginning of chapter 4. So we're going to stop and complete chapter 3 here, and I will start chapter 4 by studying the last three verses in chapter 3. So thank you so much for joining us for Daniel chapter 3. Looking forward to studying Daniel chapters 4 and the rest of the book together.